Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Economists fold again. Unemployment rate unchanged last month with over 350,000 jobs added. Meanwhile, wait till you hear the number of manufacturing jobs created. Today, we celebrate black history by remembering A. Philip Randolph. And on the show, the workers fight at the Seattle Art Museum. And we check in with IBEW Local 683 in Central Ohio. Welcome to the Monday, February 5th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have a total of uh, three guests on the show today. For the first uh, two segments, we're going to check in with two individuals out of Seattle, Washington. They would be Ryan Durr and Talia Segura. Now, you're probably aware of a lot of organizing going on at museums, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that many of those museums, if not all of them, were pretty much shut down during the pandemic. Well, we're talking about security officers at the Seattle Art Museum, and they're specifically called Visitor Service Officers. And here's the website you might want to check out, samvsounion.com. Dot O-R-G. Sam VSO Union dot O-R-G. We're going to talk with Ryan and Talia on uh, how they formed as a union, which, as you know, is not an easy task. They won the election and now they're dealing with the bargaining, which is not easy. And it's not easy living in Seattle, Washington, with the high cost of living. So right now they have a lot. They have a lot that they're bargaining for. Four major contract issues, a starting wage of $27 an hour. They want to expand health insurance to include part-time workers, a seniority pay system. We'll get into all of this, and we'll talk about the fight. And it's uh, it's not easy, as you all know, trying to get uh, wages, especially for museum workers, security workers, and as far as the situation with the homeless in that area. That's a big part of it because many of them are camped out and the museum previously contracted out security workers. So we'll get into that whole discussion with uh, Ryan Durr and Talia Segura. And again, that website is samvsounion.org. Last guest on the show is Pat Hook. Pat is the business manager of IBEW Local 683. They're in central Ohio. IBEW683.org is a website. This is a pretty big local. They've got uh, 2,500 active members and 500 retirees. And if you've been listening to the show, especially with Dorsey Hager, we just had him on the show on Friday, it is booming in central Ohio. And the IBEW, they're involved, especially with the data centers there. You've got uh, the Intel project. You've got Google, Facebook. So we'll talk about What's going on? The need to get more workers there because the workload is just, it's pretty much spread out for the next 10, 15, maybe even 20 years. And uh, we need those electricians, ibw683.org. 
is the website. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Hiring picked up sharply in January as employers added a booming 353,000 jobs, highlighting a labor market that continues, continues to defy high interest rates. Now, the Fed announced last week that they're holding firm. They're not going to lower them, but they're holding firm. Nonetheless, the rates are still pretty high. Unemployment rate, steady, 3.7%. Now, get this. Economists surveyed estimated that 185,000 jobs were to be added last month. Again, the number was 353,000. These are highly paid individuals, mind you. The uh, showing was driven by big payroll increases in healthcare and professional services, but also boosted by some quirky factors linked to holiday hiring that may not continue. Obviously, the holidays are behind us. Well, last month, Professional and business services led the job gains with 74,000, healthcare, 70,000, retail, 45,000, social assistance, 30,000, federal, state, and local governments added 36,000 jobs, and in manufacturing, 23,000 jobs. That prompted a comment from Scott Paul, Scott's president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. He said, Manufacturing added more jobs in the month of January than it did in all of 2023. That is a promising start to the year, but there are looming threats on the horizon, he said, including high borrowing costs and serious economic challenges in China that have already permeated the global market. Scott went on to say lawmakers can help by keeping the industrial policy framework in place that has led to record factory construction. The administration and Congress must also apply strong trade enforcement or risk eroding America's industrial renaissance. There is absolutely no reason to lower or weaken tariffs and other measures in place to defend our industries from foreign cheating, especially from China. Scott Paul president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Getting back to uh, that jobs report, there was one weakness. The average work week fell from 34.3 hours to 34.1, which is the lowest since the depths of the pandemic of March 2020. Average hourly pay, though, climbed 19 cents to $34.55, pushing up the yearly increase to 4.5%. So since the spring of last year, pay increases have outpaced inflation, which is what you want. Well, February is Black History Month, and it's only appropriate that we take a look back and highlight some of the individuals who have made a huge impact on advancing civil rights, workers' rights, and overall social justice. And several of these trailblazers, well, they've been on the show, and... They will remain on the show, like Roxanne Brown of the United Steelworkers. We'll be talking to her this week. We just had Fred Redman on the show, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. It's our first Friday with Fred. We check in with him at the beginning of each month. Everett Kelly will be coming up in a couple of weeks. Everett is president of the American Federation of uh, Government Employees. But there's more. So let's look back at A. Philip Randolph. 
A. Philip Randolph was born in the late 1800s in Crescent City, Florida. He and his older brother attended Cookman Institute, which is an all-black institution of higher education now known as Bethune-Cookman University. After graduation, he got involved in the movement for black economic and social freedom. This was in Harlem. In the summer of 1925, almost 100 years ago, Randolph met with porters from the Chicago-based Pullman Palace Car Company. The mostly black Pullman workforce were paid lower wages than white railway workers and faced harsh conditions and long working hours. Well, over the next decade, Randolph worked with these workers to form and organize the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. When the union was finally recognized in 1937, it became the first predominantly black labor union in the country. Throughout the next 40 years, Randolph continued to be a pioneer for the connected causes of racial and economic justice. During World War II, he helped lead the fight to end discrimination in the defense industry and military, paving the way for Executive Order 8802, the Fair Employment Practices Commission, and the desegregation of the armed services. In the 1950s, Randolph served as one of the first two black vice presidents of the new AFL-CIO, and founded the Negro American Labor Council, the NALC. Randolph was also one of the major organizers of the March on Washington for Jobs in Freedom in 1963, bringing together nearly 250,000 people demanding freedom and better lives through greater civil rights. In closing, A. Philip Randolph is quoted as saying, Freedom is never granted. It is won. Justice is never given. It is exacted. Freedom and justice must be struggled for by the oppressed of all lands and races. A. Philip Randolph passed away in 1979, and I want to thank the National Education Association for providing this historical information for Black History Month on A. Philip Randolph, a true, and I mean a true American hero for everyone. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the Seattle Art Museum, the struggle trying to get a new contract. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, LIUNA members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by LIUNA at LIUNA.org. That's LIUNA.org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today 
Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at Teamster.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. All right, let's go to uh, Seattle, Washington. And joining us on our live line right now, we have two individuals, Ryan Durr and Talia Segura. And both are with the SAM VSO Union, which is an independent worker-led union established just a couple of years ago in 2022. Now, SAM stands for Seattle Art Museum and VSO Visitor Services Officers. So we're going to find out what they're doing. Apparently, they're trying to raise wages. There's a lot of money in Seattle. I mean, that's where Amazon and Microsoft have their corporate headquarters. There's a lot of money. But just a few people have that money. We got to spread it around a little bit. And that's what uh, Sam VSO is trying to do here. Ryan, I want to start with you. Ryan, welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today. Give me a little background on yourself, how you got involved in this union. Go ahead. Yeah, th- thanks for having us here. Um, so uh, the unionization effort at, uh, at the Seattle Art Museum started actually well before I uh, was employed there. Um, in, uh, and uh, our current union is, uh, I believe, the second um, attempt at unionization at SAM. Um, but in May of 2021, um, at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, members of the security um, department here be- became aware of a plan by SAM's upper management to institute a policy of hostile deterrence towards unhoused individuals, including exterior building security, hostile architecture, and a chunk of the SAM security um, team, the visitor service officers, felt this policy would be unethical and had the potential to result in violence against the unhoused individuals living outside the museum. Uh, so this sort of was the beginning of our security staff forming an impromptu collective called SAM Workers. And over time, this turned into our independent security union. And it's sort of a long story, maybe um, more than we have time for right here, but uh, we ended up winning our... Um, our election with 90% of the vote um, back in August, and, um, and, in, and in September of that same year, we, um, we started bargaining. We've been bargaining since then. Okay, we're going to talk about that bargaining. I forgot to uh, mention the website. Do check this out after this uh, show is uh, aired. 
And that would be samvsounion.org. Samvsounion.org. Let's go to Talia Segura. Talia, did I, did I pronounce your name correctly? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what's your uh, what's your role in all this? And and I guess both of you are spokespersons for the uh, for the union here. But specifically, what do you do? Yeah. So I also joined um, the union after it already had began. Um, I had started. I started working at Sam in September of 2022, um, and. I didn't know that the union had existed um, until I got into it. And so I, you know, the people, the VSO workers are so friendly, um, you know, and I kind of just, I feel like I naturally just fell into the union effort. Um, I am currently helping with the media committee, so helping um, delegate tasks for um, the social media and um, picketing rally kind of um, our union action. How was how your relations? Are, are you getting that message out there? And you, you know how media, well, you, you probably don't know as well as I do. I mean, <laughs> there, there used to be just a couple TV channels and Radio stations were mom and pop businesses. Everything's consolidated now. We have the internet and social media. Are you getting your message yeah. out? How and how are you being received with that message? Yeah, so I would say that you know that is a big challenge. The internet is filled with so many different things, and so um, we, you know, we do have a an Instagram and a, a Twitter, um, and we. Kind of, we post our, our bargaining updates there and events that we're doing. Um, you know, I also, because I also started this a little bit later, I'm, like, unsure, I guess, <laughs> um, the reach. Um, I definitely feel like it goes further when it's word, like, um, word of mouth, where we're, like, telling people about our union in person. Um, I definitely feel like that goes much further. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also right. received um, some some positive uh, some positive uh, coverage in the Seattle Times. Um, when we first yeah. won our, our our union election, we had had some. Uh, we also had a short piece on um, a local TV network here. Um, what was it? Was it was it Coin? I think. Um, and then we also uh, received some 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 coverage in Real Change, which is a local. Uh, local newspaper that supports the unhoused population in Seattle. Um, but yeah, I'd say that most of our success also has been, has been like just in our local community and um, among the other uh, ununionized employees at Sam. Yeah. It's the first I heard about them. And, and that's what this, this show is trying to explore as many unions as possible. So they like yourself trying to get the message out here. It's important. We're all in this boat together. We want to make sure that workers yeah. are taken care of, whether it's wages, benefits, things like health care, job security. I mean, there's a lot out there. And, and it's funny, too, because the museums have been hit hard. Well, we're hit hard during the pandemic, and we're seeing a whole lot of organizing going on in museums. So you're, you're part of that. Let, let's go back. Ryan, this is for you. Forming that union, winning the election, that's not an easy task. I've talked to so many people 
in the same thing that you did, doing the same thing, trying to get uh, trying to get the union number one and number two, getting that contract. That's even harder. Can you walk yeah. me through that process, Ryan, on 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 that journey to where we are today? Um, yeah. So uh, so like so like Talia mentioned, um, I'm kind of in the same boat as to I, w- I wasn't part of the Seattle Art Museum during the first um, unionization push. Um, but there was efforts um, in the security department to unionize before, and you could basically say that our current union was the result of a bunch of work going back years that ultimately resulted in us forming our independent union. Um, and that decision was reached um, because we depend on affiliating with um, with another larger union, but there is a also in the um, in the National Labor Rights Act that. There's a specific clause concerning security workers, which says that uh, a union cannot contain both security employees and non-security employees. And in that case, the employer cannot be um, compelled to recognize a ballot election. So under those constraints, that's why we, were, we felt our best move uh, going forward was to form an independent union for just the security workers at the Seattle Art Museum. Um, Despite these setbacks, um, our people are strong, and we were able to win our election with 90% of the vote, um, which was really um, was really heartening to, to know that we had our, had all of our team, our our department of 65 plus people, um, all behind us, and they remained strong with us the entire time. I say. And uh, and how did you do this as far as reaching out to the community? Well, first of all, you had to work with the, with the members there, with the workers there, mm-hmm. but also, you know, creating a campaign because it's, it's almost like it takes a village. I, I hate to bring that up, but it <laughs> yeah. really does. I mean, that's probably a yeah. good analogy of what we're talking about here, but, but we're talking about building worker power. Let's just get to the point here. How sure. did you do that? How, how did that happen? Well, I'd say that, um, the, we had like, um, we had a small number of people who were very passionate. Some of them are still working at the museum. Um, some of them are not. Um, but we had some people that within our department that were just really good at going out and just talking to people, connecting with them on a personal level, you know, finding the grievances they had and the working conditions they wanted improved, um, listening to their, listening to their questions and answering their questions and, um, and just finding um, the personal relationships we had with our coworkers in order to, in order to get them all on our side. So when the day came, um, we had, uh, we had the votes, you know, we had, mm. we, we, there was always, uh, there was never really, I can't say there was any doubt in my mind. We would have won the election because we knew that we had our support. Right. Right. Talia, let's go to you. If you don't mind, uh, obviously you were part of this effort uh, and, and today I'm sure you're, much happier than you were before. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I would say that um, starting, you know, starting the job at Sam, I'm, I'm a part-time worker. I also go to school. Um, and it's generally a very interesting, cool job to have where you're able to work in the galleries and then you're also working with the public. But the workers at SAM are also such wonderful people to work with. Um, and a big part of, you know, our union efforts really is to ensure that all of us are treated 
well, you know, that we're paid well and that we know that as part-time workers, we have, we would have like health insurance, um, things like that. I definitely say, would say that joining the union has made me feel more connected with my work at SAM and um, especially doing like union actions with picket, with informational picketing and the rally and even just doing our meetings that we do. Um, it's really good to be able to connect with each other and, you know, know that we're on, we're here fighting for the same thing um, to help each other out. That's what it's all about. All right, we're speaking with Ryan Durr and Talia Segura. Both are with the SAM VSO Union. SAM is the Seattle Art Museum Visitor Services Officers. We'll continue the conversation right after this. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a Local 50 representative will call to begin the process. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit bacweb.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Are you looking for a new health care partner for your union members? Let Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield be your champion, making sure your members live their healthiest lives now more than ever. It's important to have a partner you can trust, one who understands the unique challenges unions face. Anthem provides a variety of options to meet your organization's needs and helps you control costs without sacrificing quality of care. For more information, visit anthem.com slash labor and trust. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis. And give us a rating. We always, always appreciate those five-star ratings. So please keep them coming. Let's go back to uh, Seattle, Washington, and rejoin. We have two guests on our live line today, Ryan Durr and Talia Segura. And they are with the uh, SAM VSO Union, an independent worker-led union established several years ago. 
Sam is the Seattle Art Museum VSO Visitor Services Officer. We're talking about the people that actually protect the workers in the museum and the museum itself. Now, we need to point out there is a very good reason for this because Seattle has a lot of homeless people, very large homeless population. Ryan, you were telling me you, you figure that to be about, what, 20,000? And they seem to be camped in the downtown area. And uh, I, 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 are there instances where they try to get into the museum for, uh, for sleep or for whatever? I mean, it, 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 kind of paint a picture for me of what's going on there. Well, so I would say that there, there is a large homeless, uh, a large homeless population in the city of Seattle. By and large, um, I would not consider, um, I would not consider the everyday worker, the everyday person, to be in danger from them. Um, I would not consider that a big part of our job involves um, involves actually uh, protecting or controlling the people from um, from homeless people. Um, mm-hmm. And and even external building security is not really um, not really part of our job as uh, as Sam security. And I want to point out, it's important to have representatives that are are unionized and not an external security force. And and I was reading on your website again. The website is samvsounion.org. That this goes back a couple of years, where the upper management at the museum hired what I was it a private security company to provide the security services. This was at the downtown Seattle Art Museum location. And uh, things did not go well, did they? Could you explain what happened, Ryan? Yeah, so, that, so, so this was one of the issues that uh, actually, that actually, that actually we were concerned with when we initially formed our unionization process. Um, it was because the, the SAM had uh, decided to contract with external security to, um, to usher people off of the off of the perimeter of the museum and there was a case of misconduct um, where um, where they had uh, where they had asked another homeless person to remove the possessions of, of, a, of someone else in order to get that person to move um, and this is one of the issues we were concerned about as SAM security because we knew that they didn't play by the same rules that we did like we are accountable to a particular security handbook, a set of rules and procedures, and we felt that the that the way that they might deal with people that with people on the perimeter and the outside would not be accountable to the same rules and respect that we try to accord to everyone at the Seattle Art Museum. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, there's a lot of contracting that goes out in various government agencies, and, and usually it does not yeah. work well it, because of mm-hmm. what you just said, uh, accountability here. And, uh, and, and, and it's often framed as a way to save money, but, but it really isn't, it, it just causes more problems. Uh, I want to get yeah. into, uh, the working conditions, uh, and wages here and Talia, if you want to pick up here, that would yeah. be great as far as, sure. uh, trying to raise wages and, and overall, I mean, let's be honest here. You, you don't make a lot of money being a security guard. I mean, that's just the way it is. So it's important, and there's dangers on the job. We kind of went over that already, but uh, it's important that you get those wages up there because the cost of living in Seattle right. is is, is yep. cer- certainly up there. Uh, Ryan or Talia, any one of you, if you could pick up on that and tell me where we stand on that. So I believe current minimum wage in Seattle has 
just recently been raised, and it might be like $20 an hour at the moment, um, which I think is the highest in the country. And we are currently paid $21.68. And, like and so um, a part, which is part of the three, like 3% raise that we get every year, like just as the, mu the whole museum, um, the whole security department kind of gets that. I'm not sure about the other parts of the museum, um, but it's just a part of kind of like every year, you know, you get increased wage by a couple um, some percent. Um, for our contract, we asked for $27 an hour, which, you know, we believed would be the amount needed at least to live in Seattle, to survive in Seattle. And um, that came from looking at other reports, like the Seattle Times had mentioned like $30 was it $30 an hour to be able to live in Seattle? And so we're like, okay, you know, what well, would, would be realistic, you know, some, um, so we asked for $27 an hour, you know, with bargaining, it, you know, could go back and forth. Um, and like part of the counter proposal that the museum had given us was we consider a bad financial offer um, because they decided that 50 cents would be enough. And, you know, with dues, um, union dues, like that, would, that wouldn't cover anything um, going forward. And it would kind of just be a part of like the regular 3% wage increase that we get annually. Um, we don't really see that the 50 cents would do anything that other than like the status quo that is currently offered at the museum and we're unionized because we want to make sure that you know we're being treated better and that you know we can make a livelihood out of living um, in Seattle and working as a as a gallery guard at the museum and, and where are we right now with the negotiations are they moving in the right direction are they taking a lot of time obviously you have some goals in mind Go ahead. Yeah, um, Ryan's um, the bargaining team. He's the spokesperson. Um, so he knows a little bit more about that than I do, I think, because he's in the bargaining room. Um, but as far as I know, and Ryan, you can also jump in, but yeah, we, they um, kinda, so it's definitely been slowed down, right? Okay. Ryan, can you pick it up from there? Sure. Um, so... So initially, um, we basically made a number of financial asks to the museum. Um, our, our initial ask for wages, we asked for $27 an hour, as well as a basic seniority um, pay rate. So every so the way this would work is every five years, we were asking for a slight wage increase. Um, we also asked for an expansion of benefits to of health benefits to our part-timers, and we asked for them to uh, improve our retirement benefits, which were um, which were cut sig significantly um, in in the year of 2020, and we're asking them to bring them back to where they were before. Um, the museum, when they came back to us with counterproposals on our financial items, as Talia mentioned, they offer us a 50 cent increase. So, bringing our wage increase, bringing our wages up to um, up to maybe around 22 dollars an hour, which we felt was not was not enough, and we still do not feel it is enough. They offered us nothing in terms of a, of a seniority pay increase, um, no expansion of benefits to part-timers, and they have offered no changes to our retirement uh, benefits. And 
And we feel that because of the skyrocketing cost of living in Seattle, that expansion of pay, expansion of benefits is paramount importance to our members. Ryan, I have to ask you, with, with wages like this, and this reminds me so much, so much of the conversation I had with uh, another union here, and that would be the American Federation of Government Employees, one of our sponsors here on the show. You may, you may have uh, watched what happened with transportation security officers, TSOs. And uh, first of all, when they were formed back when Bush was president, they were not allowed to be in a union. Finally, Obama mm-hmm. paved the way for that. But their wages were atrocious and they couldn't hold mm-hmm. on to anybody. And they finally got a really, really good pay raise after so many years of struggling. And in mm-hmm. the meantime, they lost a lot of people. So I have to ask you the question, <laughs> are, are the are the VSOs? hanging around there waiting for these wages to go up you're probably losing good people aren't you correct the that is that is a, an argument that i make frequently in the bargaining room is that at the sam the seattle Art museum we lose a lot of institutional knowledge monthly weekly yearly we lose good people who have experience because they don't pay people enough we feel that the, that the museum would rather hire new people and pay them as possible rather than promote people and maintain their institutional knowledge so that we can do our job well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sadly too, and you think at the donor base at the, at the museums and it, not just there, <laughs> but all around the country, there's some very, very wealthy people that contribute yep. money to, uh, to museums. Uh, have, have any of them spoken out about the conditions there with uh, security officers? Um, I would say publicly. No, um, we are, we we are we are attempting to uh, we're attempting to get the the board on our side and uh, and upper management on our side. But what we find is that in the bargaining room, we have the we have the museum's representation, their bargaining team, and but there is very little um, very little explanation of what's actually going on. And we feel that the museum would would like to use um, like to use their bargaining team as sort of a shield for their decisions rather than having to talk directly to the people that are making the decision. Yeah. Very, very sad. Well, they live in a bubble. There's no doubt about that. And they want to hold on to their money. So yeah, I want to be well, vocal and, about it. Yeah. And I mean, you were mentioning earlier that, uh, with, with, uh, with museums finances, like they don't want to give it like all that they've offered us in terms of financial compensation is an, is a 50 cent raise. Now the museum frequently as press releases um, talking about the valuable collections of art that they have. We currently have a, uh, we currently have a, what, a, a an Alexander Calder exhibit that is valued at $200, $200 million. This is tour of the Seattle Times, over 48 pieces. The, in 2021, there was a next, another collection of modern art that was valued at $400 million. Um, so that's, so together those, ele- those collections are about 70 pieces of art. The Seattle Art Museum's collection of art has 25,000 unique pieces. So you do the math. 70 pieces of art is, is $600 million, and they have 25,000 pieces. We're talking about billions of, billions of dollars worth of art, and they won't offer us a serious wage increase. Something is not right here. Such a sad situation, and I know many of you are so, so passionate about your jobs. I'm reading that the, many of the uh, the VSOs, the visitor service officers, are actually working artists, creative working artists, and Correct. so they obviously yeah. you obviously like what you're doing. You, you appreciate art. You want to be there. 
You just want to get fair pay. That's what this is all about. And I was reading, yep. too, on your website, this goes back to 2021. And you got to keep in mind, we're talking about King County here, where the cost of living, as we pointed out earlier, is, is up there. In 2021, so these numbers are old, a worker has to earn $30.75 an hour to afford a fair market price one-bedroom home. And you're Mm -hmm. way below it right now. So we got a lot of work to do. Okay, we're going to have to button up this conversation. I enjoy talking to you. Ryan Durr, Talia Segura. Uh, Talia, anything you want to add here before we uh, wrap up this conversation? Yeah, thanks for listening to our conversation. And make sure to join your union at your workplace. There you go. That's samvsounion.org, samvsounion.org. Ryan Durr and Talia Segura. Well, you hang in there. you got a voice here on America's Workforce, so please keep in touch with us, okay? Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to Central Ohio and check in with IBEW Local 683. Their business manager, Pat Hook, he's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. 
Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. And that would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, where you can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to Central Ohio right now. And joining us on our live line is Patrick Hook. Patrick is the business manager of a local, that's the IBEW local 683, which is pretty much on fire right now with all the construction happening and the data center construction in central Ohio. We've talked on the show about uh, the Intel plant. You've got, uh, well, it's almost like the new Silicon Valley there with Facebook, Google, Amazon. I mean, it's, it's just growing by leaps and bounds. Pat Hook, welcome back to the show. How are we doing today, my brother? Excellent, man. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. You were telling me uh, before the uh, podcast that you're, what, about 2,500 active, 500 retirees, and you're spread over about uh, seven or eight counties in central Ohio. That 2,500 number, talk to me a little bit about that. Has that, obviously, with all this work that's going on, a couple of questions here. Well, I want to delve into your apprenticeship program. I'm hearing that work's going to continue for quite some time, but How's that number been over the last uh, couple of years when all this uh, development began? Well, steadily growing, you know, several hundred, if not more, every year. And our apprenticeship has been growing steadily. Uh, probably our, our apprenticeship probably over the last you know, three or four years has doubled in size, and which is, you know, uh, obviously growth like that's, uh, you know, you've got to prepare for. And we've made some structural changes to our apprenticeship. Uh, kind of moved to a day school model for some of our years of apprenticeship, so that the uh, new apprentices go to school once a w- once what you know all day long, one day every other week instead of the traditional model of you know twice a week at night. And it's been very well received. Good, good. What's uh, what's the length of the program right now at uh, six eighty three for the for the apprentices? Right now, it's a five year program, and uh, okay. kind of the way it's set up the. The apprentices, if they do a little a little bit of extra work in their off times, uh, they can finish it in four years. I gotcha. Now, are they are they gearing up for for the data? Because you know, IBEW. I mean, there's a lot of aspects to with IBEW. Different kind of work, uh, linemen. I mean, when then you're dealing with just you know traditional wiring, that kind of thing, um, and you're expanding too in in uh, you know with alternative energy and all that kind of stuff, and making sure that uh, that's being taken care of. But at 683, are you specifically geared toward what's happening with all this data center construction? Yeah. I mean, amongst other things, I mean, I would say the data center construction is, you know, that's the the type of work that we do there isn't anything that's really new, uh, like new industries. It's just, you know, a lot of large projects with just more of everything. I mean, obviously, there's maybe some different methods to uh, production which, uh, you know, prefab and some kind of different, different uh, delivery models. But areas where kind of we've had some, some new industries and had some additional training would be, I guess I would say, electrical vehicle charging station mm-hmm. installation and then mm-hmm. also uh, utility-scale solar installation or, and, you know, just solar installation in general. But uh, we've got several utility-scale solar projects. And, uh, you know, we've, we've, our training center has added some, you know, additional training for that industry. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. You know, you bring up uh, EVs, and I'm just wondering, is Central Ohio, and we, we do the show out of Iron Workers Local 17 in Cleveland, Ohio, and you've probably been hearing all the different reports about EVs. Oh, we're not ready for that. People aren't accepting them. Uh, I know this is a transition here. Uh, how, how How's that being taken in Central Ohio right now? Are people on board with that? I don't know if I can speak for the for the general populace, because we're a little too close with 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 our involvement in it, but I, I just I do, I do agree it's going to be a, a challenging transition, and it's just kind of the the, the logistics of it is, you know, uh, you know how many car chargers are available for people to use in different locations, and you know how's that model, how's it going to be delivered, how long is it going to take, and I just think I think there's still some some things that need to be figured out you know, logistically before it can, you know, fully, you know, our, sure. our, you know, transition from, from gas to electric. Well, you have an interesting dynamic in central Ohio. You have the Ohio state university. And I, I kind of consider that to be kind of a progressive organization. And then you have state government, which could be kind of the, kind of the opposite there. So I, it seems like there might be a tug of war on that issue. That's another conversation. I want to zero in on, on workforce development here and what you're doing to attract more young people to the IBEW, specifically 683. What are you doing in the schools right now? Because, in you, and you know this conversation, uh, schools are saying, you got to go to college, you got to go to college, that's the way to do it. But look at, look at the jobs that are happening in central Ohio. How are we navigating through that, Pat? Well, it, it has been a challenge. I think it's been a kind of a culture change amongst school systems to realize the opportunities that, exist in the building trades and uh, you know one of the things we do is we partner with uh, a number of different uh, you know technical high schools and different uh, different school systems um, and have uh, kind of our curriculum is installed in their programs and uh, we've got a, a program called a student partner program where the individuals uh, work for us in the summer you know after their junior year and then work for us some it's a week on week off or a little different model but they you know they work for our contractors uh, you know while receiving the curriculum you know that's in, that our curriculum that's uh, you know installed in their in their school so then when they finish that program they're direct entry into our apprenticeship program at a second year apprentice you know instead of starting it at year one so it's and that's something that we've been doing for a long time but we've kind of just grown that you know with the different uh, you know, with the expansion of opportunities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's kind of like um, getting into um, organizing the unorganized. And I know there's a lot of people that are working as uh, electricians or, or they're, they're, they might even be involved in some data work that's non-union. How are we doing? How are we doing getting them over to uh, 683? I'm sure you've got a, a team of organizers down there. Yes, yes. And we've been working very hard on that and been pretty successful over the last, uh, it's been quite a few years that, you know, just kind of getting the word out and it kind of feeds on itself of opportunities that we have and what we have to offer, you know, on, you know, not just, you know, wages and benefits, but just the structure of our, you know, our contractors, the work that we have, the opportunities that we're going to have and just how it's, you know, our, our business model is structured for a career, not, you know, one job at a time. And, uh, I think our, our message is getting out there. You know, it kind of mm-hmm. you know, get the ball's been rolling for several years, and I think uh, you know the word's out, and uh, we're getting a lot of response. 
Well, I know um, National is is very, very adamant on, on organizing. I'm just wondering. I know Ken Cooper took over the reins. Uh, what was it about? Maybe a year going on two years now. He's an Ohio mm-hmm. guy too. Have uh, have they been helping you out on that uh, on that mission? Yes, yes. I think it's very important to have your you know, the leadership at the top. You know, is important in any organization and in ours. You know, Kenny Cooper, who you know is from Mansfield originally. You know, he's you know organizing his number one. Uh, you know. That's what we've been focused on for you know the last few years, just because we know the the work the exploding work opportunities that, that are available, but we have to have the people to take advantage of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Do you keep close uh, contact with Kenny Cooper? You have a lot of conversations with him. Well, I wouldn't say I have a lot of close contacts with Kenny, but his uh, uh, my fourth district uh, international vice president, kind of the uh, the person I report to is is uh, Gina Cooper, who's his wife, and uh, she is doing a very good job uh, leading our district. So I have a lot more conversations with her than I do Kenny. Well, 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 Pat, do me a favor, okay? Would you tell Gina that Flash wants to talk to her husband? Because, <laughs> honestly, we've been trying to get him on the show. I know he's busy. I get it. I get it. I get it. But, you know, being an Ohio guy, I mean, I'm a lifelong Clevelander here. He belongs on America's workforce. So, I, I mean... Can you help me out on that a little bit? I will do my best. There you go. There you go. I will hold you to it, brother. Okay. So uh, 2,500 active, 500 retirees. Where do you see that number? I mean, you're business manager. You want to see that uh, that grow. Do you have a game plan in mind here, Pat? Well, I mean, you know, we've got a, you know, strategy, organizing strategies and, and, you know, kind of we make projections on, you know, how much work is or how many – you know, how much work's going to be in the future. And, you know, right now, I would say traditionally, you know, construction outlooks maybe a couple of years, but with the work opportunities we have now and, and what looks like we're going to have in the future, the outlook's a little farther than a couple of years. So, you know, we're just, you know, concentrated and focused on, you know, steady growth. I mean, you have to, you know, we've, we're probably retiring, you know, 40-ish, 50 people a year. So, I mean, you have to replace them just to break even, and we're sure. far exceeding that in, the, you know, the, our yearly growth. That's good. Good to hear. All right. Those of you listening right now, lots of job opportunities in central Ohio. We're talking with Pat Hook. He's the business manager at IBW 683. And okay, maybe you don't want to be an electrician. There's other ones out there. But, you know, for the purposes of this show right now at this moment, go to 683 and you can get all the information at IBEW683.org. Pat, you take care. Thank you so much and keep in touch. Okay, my friend? Flash, I appreciate it. I uh, will see if I can get Kenny on the show. There you go. <laughs> we will stay tuned for that one. Thank you, sir. Yep. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, Tim Burgo with the Ohio AFL-CIO and Adam Keller with the Valley Labor Report out of Alabama. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.